Welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Cartel. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Dylan Fanuff from Canada joining us. Topic to be determined. It's going to be very organic. But first, Jeffrey Sue, you're the proud new owner of a Porsche. How does it feel? How does it smell? How does it taste? I don't, I don't have it yet. Oh, well, that's a fucking letdown. I don't have it yet. I just, I just got an allocation. Like the allocation, a lot of people, okay. So first of all, cars, these fucking Porsches aren't just like something you can just walk in and just buy one. Like even if you had the money in cash, you can't just go to a dealership and, and buy a car. Like there are wait lists. And then the, each dealership only gets allocated certain number of models by Porsche in Germany. So you can walk into a dealership and they only have one allocation and it's for like a Panamera Turbo or something. And they don't even have a 911 Turbo or a Carrera for you to buy. So it took me such a fucking long time to, to get one. And the funny story behind this, I'm always filled with funny stories, is that I hit up this girl, right? That I met on Tinder. And we, we, <laughs> right? her, brother, her brother owns a Porsche 911 Turbo. And I was like, does your brother know anybody like that could help me get one? So I just hit her up and she was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. You know, I'm like, just tell him like I'm your friend. You know, and she's like, no, no, no. I'm going to tell him like how I actually met you. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, fine. So her brother, she sets up a group text, me, her and her brother. And I start talking and he linked me up with the GM of a dealership an hour and a half south from me, set up a meeting and everything and go in. They had an allocation. And so, you know, I put money down and, you know, now I have my Porsche coming on uh, in October. So who's to say good things don't come from using dating apps? <laughs> you got a Porsche. I mean, you could have gotten a kid. The child support payments roughly the same over 18 years. Exactly. So, you know, realistically, you probably made out better, I would dare say. Gone the other way, you know, yeah. but other than that, Jeff, life's been great. You know, a lot of clients, a lot of, um, you know, mentorship clients, um, you know, consults, businesses, fucking full steam ahead. So I, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. Well, that's sexy. Jason, sure. my sensei, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Um not a whole lot going on this week. I don't think, um, it's kind of business as usual, you know, um, HRT clinics doing well, having a few signups here and there with coaching. Um, I haven't been pushing a whole lot on social media, just kind of, kind of over it right now, but, um, I think I need to pick that up a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, just kind of more of a kind of steady week, nothing really interesting to report. I don't think. How was your fourth? Fourth was good. Um, just kind of chilled. I had to work in the morning because everyone freaking still checked in. Uh, <laughs> went to the gym and then went and saw Top Gun, and that was cool. Fucking Top Gun's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It was really good. I think I might like it better than the first. Yeah, dude, the flight sequences alone were amazing. Yeah, they were. Insane. Yeah, but okay, all right, guys. The one problem I have with that is in the opening scene when he's flying that fucking Thunderbird or where the fuck it is, and he's going Mach 10. Mach 10 is over 7,000 miles per hour. Yeah. And he survives. Like, it's like Tom Cruise. Look how he looks at 60. I know. I know. Beautiful like, man. Beautiful I man. I know it's a movie, but it's just like, that's like a real big reach, even for a Tom Cruise movie. Has no one gone Mach 10 yet? 
No, it's know. like it's like impossible or something. <laughs> well, so they say we don't know aliens. So, all right. Well, I'm glad you got to see that movie. That's pretty tight. Um, yeah. Let's see, man. My last seven days have been super good. I was actually off moment I got done with check-ins Thursday all the way through this morning. I wrote over almost 12,000 words over the four days. I took that break. I took like a writing break. So I'm very well ahead of my 60,000 goal I wanted for Austin. So I'll probably arrive to my writer's workshop with 70, 80,000 words um, to work with the editors on wordsmithing down. Um, so that'd be pretty cool. Uh, otherwise, Jared turned 16 today. So I'm officially the dad of a guy who's out there driving on the road. So I apologize if you live in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, and see my son, if you happen to know where that is on a map. But otherwise, it was really good, man. It was very awesome. I was bored. And I have to report back. I did my best to like get into like trying to watch shows and stuff like that. I don't know how the fuck people can like sit down for a day and watch an entire show or series the whole way through. I was bored out of my mind after like three episodes. I'm like, this is awful. I would find myself having to get up, pace around, clean. My house is already clean as Jason knows. So yeah. it was just like, it was awful. But nonetheless, I did my best and I was very bored. So you could say I did a good job recharging. So it was a very nice time to have. Uh, Dylan, man, dude, uh, I really like the lion in the background. That that very much looks like a very young Jeff Sue is what I feel That's like back in the day. Um, how's your last seven days been? Last seven days has been good, man. I've been, uh, <clears throat> my business partner and I, Braden, have been traveling a lot the last three weeks. Um, three of, he's taken an overall at the last three Canadian bodybuilding um, shows. So I was just there like learning in the trenches. And then I, ha I had a figure girl competing a couple of weeks ago who is competing in, in at the Vancouver Pro in a few weeks. <clears throat> so it's been lots of travel um, with a lot of the store stuffs too. We're expanding. I have, uh, I'm in an ownership group that has uh, a chain of supplement stores in Canada. Um, so we're, what's the name? Uh, it's called supplement. World. So it's, uh, it's, it was started in uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, actually, but my business partner started off at one store and now there's, you know, uh, a few of us young guys pushing forward with it. So we got 13 now. Um, in the nice. last couple of years, so it's, it's getting pretty busy. So my life stays pretty busy. I have pretty much a full roster. Obviously. Hey, new ethics is coming to Canada here soon. I was really? gonna ask me, like, do you carry new ethics? If not, Jason's gonna immediately shun you. And yeah, you won't be asked any questions from him. If we get proper NTNs, I'd definitely be yeah, done. we're we're going through the proper channels. It takes forever, like just to get our so first SKU approval took 18 months. So yes, yeah, normally it was like a year and then COVID hit, and it's like I two. mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, but we're trying. So yeah, it's uh and there is a market for it here too, because we yeah. don't no one else is playing in that market of like the functional. Yeah. you know body composition stuff so that, that's that's cool man so yeah other than that um i've gotten a bunch of new signups lately i think you know a few of the more like jason you've probably seen this coming up and, and jeff probably seen it from the functional side just because i know a little bit more about those two guys than i do mr black but um you know when you're starting out and there's like a role that's starting to, i've been putting in a lot of work for like the last two years like very very hard consistent work and it's starting to kind of get into that preto distribution where like every, every time I, I leave a show, I come home, there's like inquiries on my desk and, you know, from people that I really want to be working with. So it's, it's been a good, good week, man. It's been a good couple of weeks. No, I agree with you hundred percent. The Preto principle is the way to go about all things business. Your top eight, your top 20, give you 80%. 
Yeah. So hundred percent. Um, guys, real quick before I turn it over to Jeffrey Sue to lead today. Jeffrey Sue is going to become our chief Indian. Um, we've been getting a lot of questions about the PEC7 and if we're going to do Tampa or not. It does not look like at this time we will do something this year unless, of course, things change. Now, the three of us are still talking in the back channels, trying to figure out logistics and all that. But if it does, we will probably be doing it in late October, early November, but we are looking at possibly doing a pre-sale. And we would need to get to a certain number to yeah. qualify to be able to do it is what Jeff, myself, and Jason have come up with. So if you guys are interested in that, be sure to kind of give us feedback and let us know. So at least we're aware and don't just kind of aim out there individually and just kind of hope for the best um, because it looks like prices for airlines are still going up and everything else in between. Albeit though, guys, this is weird. I got my ticket from Nashville to Austin for like 60 bucks each way. Really? Like the flight was dirt cheap from Nashville to Austin. I don't even understand that at all. Huh. So I think it's just depending upon where we're going. But Tampa's when, got a pretty good hub. When you going? When you going to Austin? I go the third week of August. I'm down there like that Tuesday through that Friday. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I mean, I'm leaving on you know kind of off days, but nonetheless, are you still coming here that July 31st or whatever? Yeah, I'm probably gonna hit you up. Okay. Cool. Okay. Right. Say what? The I was just thinking about the aviation stuff because I got a trip coming up in two weeks to the Vancouver Pro Show too and um, Air Canada. So we only have like two or three airlines that really play in Canada. There is more obviously, but like two really prominent ones, Air Canada and WestJet. Air Canada is the biggest one. They sent an email to all their customers from the CEO because I, I got a flight coming up. What they did is they anticipated restrictions getting lifted um, coming into like the end of May you know, for vaccination, all the, all that different stuff they have going on. Our government decided to extend all that till September, but they booked flights as if the restrictions were going to be lifted for like the past four months. So they basically sent out an email and said, if you're, if you have trips booked between July and September, we're canceling like 40% of them because this is the best way that we can service our customers. Because if people, if everyone shows up, we're completely screwed because of all the different like staffing they need to do and all, all the different regulations that has to be, um, you know, taken to that. So they're taking a big kick in the nuts right now. Cause can imagine, imagine telling like half your roster, like, sorry, guys, I can't, you got to go. It's like, man, that's crazy. So are we talking restrictions for COVID still up there. Well, the body count Canada's like half your population has to be wiped out for that kind of dumb shit still be going on. Right. Like you guys are just fucking stacking bodies, burning them in an oven and shit like that. Right. Like, Oh, you, how, how come they're still keeping up with the ruse? Like, what the fuck's that about? You guys should be like protesting and like burning shit. Like, one thing goes wrong down here, we burn cities to the ground. We get so angry. Like, no one in Canada is doing that yet. Why not, Dylan? You should go out there and lead that. Well, because it would be me and probably twenty five other people. But <laughs> I'd be, I'll join you. I'll sneak in. Yeah, no, no one's really willing to bend over and touch their ankles, uh, or everyone is. Sorry, versus the states, no one's really willing to do that. It seems like much. We it's a different culture, man. Mm, that's a fair point. All right. Well, that sucks up there, man. I'm sorry for we that. Don't have guns also, so like we you do, don't have guns. Well, we do, but certainly not like you guys. <laughs> oh no! I actually went and looked at a gun the other day. It's, I'm be 42 in September, and I've, I'm actually kind of sad about the idea. I have to buy a gun. I've never really liked the idea of having to arm myself, but I'm going with a Glock 17 XL for home. And then I'm going with a P36, P365 with me on my person when I go out. I have a concealed weapons permit. I just never have decided to get a gun. 
I don't know. I'm an intimate person. Like if I wanted to like kill someone, I'd rather kill them with a knife or up close to person. <laughs> That's just how I am. Like make it a good experience. But we'll go down a rabbit hole with that conversation about 2A and all that. So with that being said, Mr. Jeffrey Sue, I'm going to turn yeah. it over to you and let you guide the reins on this ship today. And we'll, yeah. we'll, me and Jason will take That's back fine. seat. That's fine. About the gun thing, Jeff, I own a gun too, which I told you, right? That's I scary. I have a CZ. It's a concealed carry permit as well. Mm-hmm. But dude, you never want to use the gun. There are so no. like situations where you can legally use it and also not face like at least like one or two or three counts of something that you, you did when using it in self-defense in a, a perfectly legal environment. So even if you own one, pray to God, you never have to use it for your own sake. Oh, a hundred percent, man. It's just, it's weird. Um, it really sunk into me, not this past Sunday, because Keegan was feeling too well. The Sunday before we went to church and Keegan pointed out to me the armed, like there was like four more cops than normal yeah. at church because of the stuff going on in our country. And I was just kind of like, huh, maybe it is time that I consider being armed and actually using my concealed, you know, to basically at least give both of us a chance in today's world. And that's sad to say, man, you know, you're basically a sitting duck in a mall, you're sitting duck in a movie theater, you're sitting duck in a church, and you just saw yeah. what happened in Chicago on the 4th of July with that parade. So sad yeah. times we're in, man. Yeah, it is. It's ridiculous. So, anyways, in, in, in lighter news, Dylan. Uh, <laughs> Let's I'm go back to smashing Canada's COVID shit. Yeah. I chatted with you for a while now. I know you, you know, my own assistant coach, Laura, uh, she enjoys working with you and, you know, your training program has challenged her and everything. And when I watch your social media, I don't know if other people feel this way, but I feel like you're like an expert on training. Like you, you go into very in-depth videos on, on forum and, and queuing and, and things like that. So just for our listeners who may not have met you, walk us through a little bit about you know, how you, you know, got into coaching, um, why you decided to, you know, focus your social media on training versus what everyone else is doing. And maybe give us a little bit of your, your opinion on, or maybe the perception of the coaching industry in Canada versus the coaching industry here in the States, if there's any difference Ooh, at all. That's a good question. Good question. So <clears throat> three questions there. So I'll try my best to unpack them as quickly and as efficiently as I can. So I, Grew up in a very small farming community in a small central Canada. So it was like middle of nowhere. Um, I was brought up uh, religious Catholic and I was obese from the time I could remember. I was obese from childhood. Um, actually, interestingly enough, my mom just came and visited me for my 31st birthday like five days ago. And I found something new out that I didn't know. I knew that I was born premature. Um, this is interesting because you guys are all into coaching. And I was born at about six months old, six and a half months old. And between six and 11 months old, I basically didn't put on any weight. And that was a big problem, obviously. And I was very colicky. I was sickly. I got ear infections, eye infections, you know, throat infections all the time. And um, when they went to a specialist, they found out my mother's breast milk had no nutritional value, basically. So I was just drinking water. And she said, the mo- and this part I didn't know. She said, I remember it like it was yesterday. The first time I ever gave you formula that nipple hit your lips. I saw it in your eyes. Like you were never letting go. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty interesting because I've lived a life full of eating disorders and different obesity problems. So like that definitely, um, you know, 
could tie into something, which was a good piece of uh, information to have because I'm going to do an ayahuasca trip in November and I'm taking my ass right back to that point. I'm going right back to six months old. Question. <laughs> Got to inject. That's, that's something I'm big in. A lot of people who've been following me for years and 2017, I'm actually writing about that in my book, my journey away from God, back to God and the use of psychedelics in between. <clears throat> Where are you going to do the ayahuasca? Are you going to go do Dorian Yates's retreat down in Costa Rica? Uh, I'm going to Costa Rica. I actually have a friend and, and business partner who, who okay. um, has a retreat. Down, like he started his own because it helped him so much. Um, and he's got a bunch of condos down there and stuff. So I'm just going to get to go stay in the condo and literally like almost walk to the retreat. It's really, really high quality. Um, you know, I'm getting looked after price wise too. It's pretty expensive for what I'm doing. Normally, mm-hmm. If I didn't have a connection that I had, it was it's about 25% of the total cost. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to go into the jungle and uh, see if I come up the same nice. person. Have you, have you, have, have you done any hallucinogenics beforehand? Uh, you experimented with, okay. All right. So at least you understand what you're getting into. Most people yeah, do that the first time. I'm like, please don't do that one the first time. That's yeah, not definitely good. Not the first time. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's a little bit of a side tangent, but uh, interestingly enough that, that it affected my, my journey a little bit. So I thought I'd bring it up, but you know, through elementary school, middle school, et cetera, et cetera, I was obese. And I mean like pretty obese. I'm five foot seven. Um, I was probably 240 in high school. Oh, wow. Something okay. Like that, something like that. And <clears throat> then when I got out, I left home very young. Um, kind of typical broken home life and problematic. I left home at 16, started working. Um, I just done basically construction jobs and whatever I could get my hands on when you're a dumb 16 year old trying to survive on your own. By the time I was 20, I had worked up to, you know, like a sales position, which I'm much better suited and better at anyway. And I was on a construction site where some of the product was failing. And I walked up to a five-story building, a pitch roof, five-story building, wood frame, And I was walking to the top to check on some shingles that were apparently failing. And I stepped on the bottom of a piece of sheeting that wasn't nailed in. So when I stepped on the bottom of the sheeting, the um, piece of plywood went up. And then I went through the trap door, through the rafters, down through the drywall and onto the floor, 55 feet. Mm. I broke my my L1 through L5, both, uh, both heels, calcaneus, my left ankle and my right elbow. And I had a lot of, you know, concussion, um, rhabdo from just hitting the ground so hard the entire posterior chain died instantly basically i was an entire bruise so that was a very very big part of my journey which then led me to um you know when you're in the hospital you're a young guy and you know i had been to the doctor like twice in my entire life before that probably and certainly not for like checking my blood glucose or like checking my blood pressure anything like that so they had, obviously I had this accident. I'm in the hospital now and they come back and they're like, Dylan, you're pre-diabetic. We need cholesterol mm. medication now. Like you, you're not good. We weighed you in at, you know, 296 pounds or something like that. I was, so I was, you know, five foot seven, 300 pounds, um, which coincidentally was still the smallest male in my family. <laughs> oh, wow. Know, so it was, uh, it, it's a perpetual thing in, in, in kind of the culture where I'm from. And then also inside my own family culture structure. Mm. So, so are you, um, uh... Are you kind of, I'm always curious about nature versus nurture. And you, you know, you said it seemed like you were an eater from the get go. Um, are you always just kind of hungry? Like no matter how much you eat? Yeah. So like, um, I've done a lot of work, including some of the psychedelic work and like godly amounts of therapy. And I'm very self-aware as a person. I'm very driven. Um, and there still is, you know, I've went through almost every disordered eating in 10 years that you could imagine through competing and just different things and having to work myself through them to now I have a really good handle on it. 
but my ner- my nature is always to over never under right mm-hmm. so yeah. um <clears throat> you know like i'm not one of these people that's like if someone brought out a chocolate cake that was, after I ate supper, that was like calorie free and I could just eat it. I could eat the whole thing. No problem. Yeah. So I, I have to use basically constraint and some degree of willpower. The longer it's so long that life is a decade ago. So it's not like it was two years in, but the first two to three years was absolutely horrible. I was hungry all the time. And it's all I could think about was food. And it gave me a good perspective on how people struggle with that type of you know mindset yeah. it's, not, it's not just kind of like just do it you know there's, there's no i mean i i've found with working with people i mean you know uh people can say oh well they need to just stop eating their you know but the hunger is intense for someone especially if they're more endomorphic i don't know if you consider yourself more endomorphic as your you know, original phenotype but um yeah, I find that it's just sometimes uncontrollable. I'll have their cal- calories really high and, and they're ranking tens. And I just kind of got to explain, hey, you know, that's kind of your your body type and we just got to work through it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a powerful system, like psychophysiologically, right? Because it's like reproduction, eating, shelter. It's like one of the main things that our species has evolved to continue to do. And we've made, we've, in the early 19th century, we wanted to make calories cheap. And when human beings get behind a common goal with ingenuity and technology, we did that. Calories are really cheap now, you know, so it's really easy. Everyone can overeat and uh, be in that situation. So anyway, I, I had this accident that obviously rippled my life pretty a lot. And that wasn't the worst of it. I, that obviously was quite depressing. You know, I couldn't even work anymore. And I'm just a young guy. My life feels like a mess. My body is destroyed. I'm now told that I have pre-diabetes, high cholesterol. So I leaned into the prescription painkillers and I went down that rabbit hole. They were giving me Oxy and Valium and Dilaudid and I was taking them like candy. And funny enough, the thing about addiction is I remember laying in my recliner that used to stand me up, you know, like you push the button, like an old people chair and kind of stands you up. I was watching TV, leaning back. And one day, just like kind of almost subconsciously without really thinking about it, I was counting all of my pills on my stomach. I had them on my, my, my table beside my thing and I had my Valiums out and I was counting out how many days I had left of each. And all of a sudden, I'm, I don't know what hit me. I, I'm a little bit religious, so I, I like to say that, it, you know, I was getting a wake up call from above, but it, it hit me and it was like, Dylan, this is addiction, you dumb fuck. This is it. Like you're here now. It's not like waiting for it. it it's, it's here. It's meeting you at the door. Like you're very concerned about how you're going to continue to get these next sets of you know, prescriptions and because they were just taking the pain away, quote unquote pain. And that was the day I was like, okay, something has to change. So I got up with my two walking boots on. I flushed all those pills down the toilet and I never took another, you know, narcotic prescription painkiller again. That was like in 2012. And that was also once I got, um, I actually had bought in a dog four weeks before I fell, but not, I didn't have it yet. You know, you will buy a puppy and you can't have them till they're eight weeks old. So I bought the puppy two months prior, four weeks into that broke my back. Four weeks later, I'm getting a new dog, (laughs) you know? So I have this like Rottweiler bull Mastiff who is psychotic and needs walking all the time, but it was really good for me because it was just a challenge to look after that dog was everything I had in me at the time, you know, like, okay, I have to get up and at least get him outside, take him for a walk. It was making me get out of my chair and do some things. So that dog and I grew very close. And after a while, when I could start to go back to work, maybe uh, eight, nine months later, I thought, man, maybe, maybe I should try like losing a little bit of weight. You know, like the doctor said, that would be, you know, obviously a good, good thing. I'm young. 
Um, and all I had ever heard about is my family talk about how it was like a cognitive bias. Cause my, I went to the, I went to school at the type of place where in elementary school, my teachers would tell me like, ah, you're a big boy. And the teachers taught my parents. They were like, yeah, your dad was like that too. And that's how your family is. Everyone knew everyone. So I just thought this is the way I was and that's it. And I remember, you know, pulling up some, uh, being at work, pulling up some article. It might even, honestly, it's funny because I've been reading like some adjacent stuff for literally a decade, like going back to forums and, you know, different things. And I, I come across, luckily enough, calorie balance. And I, I don't remember exactly what, but something laying out that basically I'd figured out, well, maybe I'm just eating too much. And I have such a curious personality that no matter how difficult something is, if I decide that I want that thing, I will do whatever it takes, especially for a short amount of time, at least to try it because I need to compare apples to apples. And at the time I was like, well, I don't even know if losing weight is possible for me. Like that sounds very strange, but I literally believe that that's the way I was supposed to be like as a physiological structure from whatever belief system that I, that I, I held. And I remember for a week, I just stopped eating out as much. I really tried to reduce my liquid calories. I tried to pick the low hanging fruit. I lost like seven pounds. Keep in mind, I'm 300 pounds. I was super underactive. So anything was, was something. And as soon as that first week hit, I was like, oh shit, this is possible. And I'm very lucky that that was over 10 years ago. And I've never not moved forward since. And I had never tried a diet before that in my entire life. I, I, I never used to sit around. Like, obviously I wished I, I had been different as a young teenage kid. When you're obese, it's not fun to see you know, other people getting attention from girls or just, you know, sports or anything like that. And you're not in that position, but I just thought, okay, well, I have to be smarter then because this is my disadvantage. And I, it taught me to like work around that. And then when I found out it was possible, I was like, okay, I'm all in. And I didn't have these regressions where I tried a keto diet and then gain some weight back and had to build up negative emotion around the dieting strategies itself to re-enter. I just moved through it and I can't, I'm failed forward, obviously made mistakes along the way. And uh, so as I started to lose some, some body weight, I took that right from being 300 pounds right down to 147 and stepping on my first men's physique stage <laughs> in one go 12 months. Was your skin all right? Um, yeah, it's not bad actually. Thank yeah, God. Yeah. Like I, I don't have very many good genetics, but my teeth and my skin have always like, I don't suffer with acne or anything like that. Yeah. My teeth are awesome. Never had any issues. So there's um, no so real like, stretch marks, huh? Uh, there, you know, there's some definite stretch marks, but the loose skin for how much I lost. Cause I lost 154 pounds. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was, I had lost more than I weighed when I got yeah. on stage and definitely by the time I'm that lean, honestly, there's not much skin issues, especially now, if I was to get that lean again, um, I have much more muscle now. I think it would be probably pretty much filled out. So I got lucky in that sense, but you can imagine, I think I had to start losing weight. I had started eating around 25, 2700 calories, no diet breaks, no nothing like that. Just straight through all the way down to 800 calories for like a long time. I was doing 800 for the last two months of that self-coached first contest prep. I got on stage and I got dead last. And that was something else to have your best physique ever by far that a year later, or a year earlier, I might've run somebody over for that physique. Like if someone told me, Dylan, you just have to hit this person crossing the street with your truck and you'll be half the weight that you are, they might be gone. And to be told that that subjectively was still straight up garbage and not good enough to, to be anything but dead last, that was mentally hard. And that's where my, the 
some of the reincarnation of some of my disordered eating had started, right? Because then it was like, well, we need less, 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 less. And I never wanted to reverse diet. And for the first four years of my, my training journey, although I loved bodybuilding, the training was something I was obsessing about and learning a lot about. It was the nutrition side that I struggled with for way longer. I under ate for way too long. The first four years of my training, I don't think I ate under over 2000 calories ever consistently besides like a free meal or something, mm-hmm. you know, so definitely a, a big journey. And then through that, you know, anyone who's done any sort of transformation or bodybuilding, I attracted quite a few people. I'd never had to work hard necessarily to like attract clients, to be honest, because my story um, seemed to do that quite well for me, you know, seeing someone lose half their body weight and, and continue to slowly succeed over time. I had a lot of weight loss clients right out of the gate. That's how I got into coaching. People started reaching out to me, you know, how it is like a couple of people were like, Hey, like, look at what you've done. This is crazy. And we're bugging me to coach them. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I know it's worked for me. That turned into, you know, kind of one-on-one training I did. So I would work at the dealership selling cars from, you know, eight in the morning till five at night. And then I would go to the gym and do one-on-one because online wasn't really a thing back then in like 2012, you know, it was, but very, very not the same as it is now. I would train in-person people from five to 10 at night, train myself from 10 to 1130 and go home. And I did that six days a week for two years straight until I could work out of the sales job. And then I was just doing mostly in-person training and then some online to where I could work out of the in-person training and then mostly online. And in about 2016, 17, maybe, I had built up about a hundred client roster of mostly weight loss, general fat loss, you know, lifestyle clients. That's mostly what it was. And I had this opportunity to buy into Supplement World and, and grow the business. And I knew that I had never owned a retail store before. And I knew that it was going to be challenging. So I actually closed that training business down. I had worked five years to build it up to something that I thought was like going to be the thing that I did forever. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do two things kind of haphazardly or half-assed. Um, so I, I stopped coaching for a couple of years. And in that two years is when I did a lot of the obsessive learning that I, that I probably got me to the level of education that I have now. Because it was no, I'd had no, no longer clients. Like you guys know this, having rosters. It's hard to immerse yourself in education when, you know, you're coaching all these people and your time constraints are so much versus, yes, I had to work the store a lot, but that was, had set hours. You know, it's like, these are your shifts. I kind of knew where I was going to be at what time. And I hired mentors. I did basically any good education that I could find, including a lot of Jason's and, and Jeff's, you know, a little bit more recent, but you know, I've done basically everything you guys have ever put out. And, uh, you know, that kind of led me to, to where I am now, you know, just slowly working my way up the food chain, knowing that I was never, I always had an interest in coaching physique development athletes, like right from the time I started losing weight. I remember going to the gym after losing a hundred pounds, still being completely out of shape, looking nothing like anything at all of a muscular physique. And I remember coming back to the dealership after my lunch hour and telling my coworkers, like, I think I want to train like those big Jack guys. Like that would be really fun to be able to do that. And of course they thought it was crazy at the time, but lo and behold, later, 10 years later, I'm finally starting to do that. So anyway, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey for sure. One that I wouldn't change any of the struggles now because it's led me to where I am and uh, here's good. In fact, not many people know about me. When I was 20, <clears throat> I sold cars when I lived in Portland, Oregon. And I like to think that gave me a lot of insight 
and like people, because you got to have like the craziest conversations. Did that help you with your coaching, being able to better connect and the sales side of stuff? Because a lot of coaches don't really understand sales. Like they just think like, I know this shit. People should just sign up because I know this shit. They don't understand how the psychology of sales works. Yeah. You're preaching to the choir, right? So it's like, for me, I've always been a very uh, intrinsic thinking person. And then the only thing besides the first couple of years, like 16 to 18, just doing labor jobs. The only thing I've ever done is sales and marketing in some sense and a variety of different sales and marketing. And I know now if someone was to take, especially bodybuilders, right? Because they're very subjectively like to look at things. If a bodybuilder's ever had sort of like a criticism of my work, it's like, well, he's only 200 pounds. He's not even that jacked. How come, you know, how come he has these clients and I don't? And you just nailed one of the big topics I think is there is I understand a lot about human psychology because I'm obsessed about it. And I needed to learn about it for myself because of my own path in life. And I, I had a sales and marketing career long before I ever got into fitness. And those two things are absolutely huge, in my opinion, in the coaching space that sometimes get glossed over. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, if, if getting clients is using sales and marketing in the, to attract clients, why would you expect that you would be as good as me not having ever done this ever? And it's all I've ever done. So, yeah, of course, it's, it's a huge tool, huge, huge tool. No, and I have a question. So in the, in the coaching space, you know, obviously we we've seen, you know, I think, let me back it up a little bit. I think a lot of people right now who are entering the coaching space or, you know, getting into, you know, trying to find a coach or whatever, and they see all this gut health stuff, the adrenal stuff and all this like functional stuff, they don't really understand the origins of all this stuff. They think it just like started. And it's not true. It's, it's actually been around for, for probably decades, since the 1980s, I think, um, you know, started from, you know, naturopathy, where, you know, people were prescribing like potions and lotions and pills and things like that, that borrowed from, you know, TCM, which is, you know, called traditional Chinese medicine, where, you know, people were using like, roots and extracts and, you know, weird shit like that. So that's been around for a very, very long time. And, and, you know, as forums in the 1990s and 2000s gained popularity, that's where, that's where the online coach came from. It was from people giving advice to each other on these VB message board forums, which probably don't even exist now. And then when social media came into play, Facebook first, and then Instagram, the online coaches migrated to social media. And then very, very recently, the bodybuilding world and the functional world were sort of married together. And now we have the hybrid functional coach. Now, that history aside, how have you seen in Canada coaches getting into this space and, and obtaining knowledge and having the ability to order lab work or order certain supplements? Because your healthcare system is much different than ours in the United States. And I would imagine the barriers are a lot higher to gaining access to education and to be able to, you know, prescribe certain, you know, nutraceuticals? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, the first part I'd like to tackle of that is, is if I think going to answer a question that you asked in there, which is, it's interesting because, because of that. So inversely looking at that question, <clears throat> I think it's made me a better coach. And we talked about this and sort of, I, I've actually hired Jeff before to do a, um, you know, a, consult, just like with a case that I had on on my own. And, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, people, sorry, 
Uh-oh. Hey, I'm on a podcast here. Fuck. Bring him on. Bring him on. I want to see him. I know. It's going crazy. My <laughs> anyway, um, you know, it's one of those things where I had to look at things differently than, you know, everyone else because I couldn't just get go get a thyroid lab or right. just go get a, uh, you know, a testosterone lab or any lab. I can't do that. Like you can't even go to the doctor and get your lab work. It's unless, unless there's a very clinical reason why that marker, they look at you like physically with their eye and something is off to even point that it could be that they will not pull it because it's a waste of taxpayer dollars. So we have like a, a reactive medical system versus a proactive and all of them are like that based on cost savings. It's like the government, baby. Yeah. But this is very, very, now there's some positives to it. So I, you know, in our business, it's not, there's really no positives. The positives <laughs> is that I have, if I have a heart attack today, I can basically go to the, the hospital and I just get fixed up and I'll have an ambulance bill of what, 700 bucks. That's it. You know, so versus my grandfather was a snowbird and had a place in Phoenix before he passed, you know, they would go down. My grandparents would go down every year from here to escape winter. He had a heart attack and forgot to his health insurance when he was like 78 and it was like $125,000 at, at the, at the hospital in Phoenix, you know, so it, 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 there's benefits to it. But for, for me, it was, that's actually how I got so focused on psychology because I got looking into a lot of the functional medicine stuff. And then a lot of like the IBS, IBD, all that literature, especially the new stuff that's kind of pointing to the, that's more of a neurological disorder than any sort of physiological disorder. And I was like, geez, I don't know if I need all these things necessarily. Mm. I might be able to inversely fix lifestyle habits because there, I could always see low hanging fruit where it's like, yes, okay, I'm not sure what to do because I don't have this marker. However, I know you're for sure not nailing this thing. And I think that's a big domino to, you know, maybe it's a stress thing. Maybe it's a relationship thing. So I ended up helping a lot of people through those means without necessarily following the quote unquote standard procedures to to fix a lot of these ailments and mm. so it's a different kind of ball game it is getting better obviously you know jason just said like they're trying to get new ethics npns and get into canada there is a few now um like online services where i can get some partial blood work done like pay per service work but it's still very new all of that is kind of coming in so it makes a big difference being in canada i think versus the u.s to answer your question um yeah. Although now with social media, it is easier because I can talk to people like you and there's more people willing to spend money because we can go to a naturopath. Like when I go to my naturopath, actually a friend of mine, she owns the clinic here. We consult on cases. Um, so I've got to learn a lot from her, but I can go down and get my blood work pulled. It's like 800 bucks, but I can get my blood work done. My whole panel, my team just kind of says, give me coach Dylan's kind of uh, blood draw panel and anyone that's local can get it. So it's, pretty good that way but other than that yeah we have to pay a lot out of pocket for these things and they're very expensive yeah 800 800 is a lot my clinic does it for like 170 that's yeah that's like wild yeah Yeah, you have a question yeah he's mentioned psychology a few times like he's real real big in it do you use neuro-linguistic programming with your clients um yeah i do some cognitive reprogramming I, i honestly i'm just big on like um I struggled with a lot of anxiety my entire life. And, you know, that's a very general term, um, you know, in today's field. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is, is a lot of the time, that's just your psych telling you that you could, should, and would be more if you would get out of the way 
and stop running from the work and the things that are preventing you from doing that. And I find that lots of people won't even take a step forward because they're too scared to lose ground in what they've built. And that's something I understand a lot, actually, because the fear for me was always to go, if I relate it to fitness, the fear was always to go where I started, to end up back where I started. So anytime I would get around someone that would challenge me to want to make change because I had an expectation of getting better and I would always find like, oh, see, you don't want to let go of eating too late at night. Like an example, you don't want to let go of kind of calorie hoarding too much at night because you're scared that you're going to overeat at nighttime. And in the long term, that repeated pattern is you being obese again. Okay, but you have to trust the work that you've built right? Especially when you hire a coach, it's like, that's the kind of conversations you can't hide in the fog. As I say, you have to bring those forward so you can address them so that you can make a plan to move forward, right? If you're just staring into the eye of your anxiety all the time, that monster gets bigger, the longer you leave it and you shrink. The only way that we know how clinically to fix or manage anxiety is a better word is to voluntarily um, put yourself into the exposure of what ails you mm. and then repeatedly over time. Right. And it has to be voluntary. I can't make someone do it. So I, ha I had to learn about psychology to get people curious about their own potential. Right. Like I had a girl this morning do a check-in and she said something like, you know, like I'm starting to cut and I'm losing some strength. And it was like a very negative mindset, you know, and I know she's interested in history. So I, I and I'm interested in history. And I was like, Hey, just so you know, three or four people ago, you would have been working way harder just to live than you are in the gym. You're still eating like well over 2000 calories. You still have a good body fat. Like you're not in any danger here of like overworking yourself in some, you know, catastrophic way. It's like, you know, your, your parents, okay, maybe not grandparents, depending on how young you are, but for sure your great grandparents, it's like your great grandparents would have been like walking everywhere, horse and buggy, chopping wood, you know, like, and I grew up in a place that these, these kind of practices are still a little bit more, uh, you know, followed. So I understood all that. It's like, no, no, we we have to make stuff to do externally for physical burden because we don't have enough. We've made life so easy. And then we all carry, we're, in my opinion, we're a creature of burden. We were designed to carry loads of large grade grades over time. And when people don't have that, they turn inwardly. And because we know ourselves better than anyone, like Jeff, you know, all the stupid things you've done, you know, Jason, you know, all the horrible things you've done that have hurt people. And the only way to kind of move through that is to strive to be better. And when people can focus in on those things that they've done or haven't done and repeat that narrative over and over, this internal tyrant starts to really get ramped up in your head. And then every time someone, you know, relating it to fitness, every time someone makes a mistake on their diet, especially in a, in a functional case, right? It's like, you, you didn't follow the protocol and we didn't see the desired outcome. And then inside the whole time, they're like, see, this is what you always do. This is why I don't even try, you know, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of language that's repeating in your head. And if you don't make that stop, there is no protocol, no exercise plan, no diet plan, no supplements, no medications that are going to help you in my opinion. And I've seen this time and time again. I've actually taken some clients who had tried failed um, gut protocols in the last while. And I give them their protocol signing up with me. And they're like, well, where's the, where's like the antimicrobials or where's this or where's that? And I'm like, no, no, 
you didn't do the pre prerequisite work to get to that stage yet. It's not like plug and play, here you go. And with all of your disordered thinking and lifestyle stressors, mm -hmm. these are just going to fix you. It's like, you're not even there yet. You're not even on the mound yet. And you want to be hitting the, the, you know, bases loaded pinch hit. It's like, no, no, we have to teach you how to calm down. We have to teach you how to be okay with taking a damn rest day from the gym. We have to teach you to be okay, not to um, need something sweet after every meal. Like these are all things that are holding you back, you know? So that's where I do focus in a lot on the psych stuff, I think. And I think it's something that's missing in the coaching industry a lot personally. So do you get them to watch a movie when they're playing it out or how are you doing that? Cause NLP talks heavily on that. Um, not necessarily. Um, I use a lot of, uh, how would you say a lot of, let's say personal anecdote. And there is some, um, I use a lot of the, um, big five theorem, which is like a personality sort of trait scoring. Mm -hmm. And now I've gotten so familiar with that. And there's, there's always like a caveat, right? Because if someone hears this and it's like, you can basically break people up into personality traits and be very accurate about 80% of the time, even for long-term outcomes. So now I can look at someone's sort of trait scoring and look at them and go like, oh, they're probably going to struggle with these areas of fitness and the journey. And I'm almost, almost certainly right. <laughs> Except people aren't just made up of that. So it's not everything, right? It's just, it's like anything else. It's like a piece of investigative tooling to get you looking in certain directions, to pay attention to upcoming problems that you might have with the client. So knowing like, for instance, I'm very, very trait disagreeable and I'm very, very trait low in compassion and I'm very, very trait low in politeness. So if my coach was to come to me after a week of me screwing up my protocols, let's say, and he tells me, you know what, Dylan, it's okay. You're trying really hard. You're good the way you are. Don't worry about it too much. That's the worst thing to tell me personally, although it might work for someone else. No, it doesn't suit me at all. I need to be told like, Hey man, you told me you have a goal and these are the actions you're going to have to require to carry out, to get to that goal. What's going on? Pick your socks up. You know, as were some people that are really, really trait agreeable, very trait compassionate and high in neuroticism which is more females than males. Um, so I also work with way more females and they're more likely to be higher in trait neuroticism. And in my assumption, that's because they're the caregivers of life and it was very hard to keep us alive, um, you know, to continue the species. So I think they're just generally more aware, hyper aware of their situations. But anyway, when you, um, you know, you take this person, you tell them like, hey, What's wrong with you? How come you can't just, you know, stop eating this thing or you just don't want it bad enough. You just take their positive emotion and absolutely throw it in the garbage. The chances of them hearing, even if you say it in a way that you think, you know what, this is great coaching and I'm telling them and I'm giving them tough love. They didn't hear what you said. <laughs> they didn't hear that at all. And then they take that into their own, in their own mind. That's something like, see, I was never good enough. I'm not good enough now. Why do I even try? And they're using willpower instead of positive emotion. And positive emotion is curated by choosing a target of value and then seeing perceived movement towards that target. So when that's not happening and you remove that, it is. It's just pure willpower, which we all know is finite. It's not infinite. It's not if you run out of that, it's when. 
I can force anyone to do something for eight, 12, 16 weeks by telling them, you know, basically a variety of motivational strategies. But I'd never cared about any of that. And I think it's because for me, 16 weeks was a drop in the bucket for how long I've had to work to get to where I've gotten. And I know that if I had just focused on that, on that solely, excuse me, I would have never ended up here. It would have been impossible because I came through, you know, I've had to change my strategies around my own goals almost all the time. Every three years, life changes. Then it's like, Hey, this thing's not working anymore. And it has to get kind of substituted with something else. So understanding people has helped me to um, coach in the appropriate strategies, I guess. you could say. Mm. Great breakdown. Jeff, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was saying that's a great breakdown. I was glad he went down that with me to tease that out. Cause I think that that's, a huge thing in LP and what we do and things like that, setting up the goals and aligning people and then understanding personalities is a big thing coaches miss um, and they chase the 10 K. Yeah. I think, um, you know, a good takeaway from that for, for our listeners is that, you know, especially because Dylan, you were forced to sort of, you know, use these strategies and, and go this, this path because the other testing wasn't available to you because of the Canadian healthcare system. But I think, you know, this is a good takeaway for coaches to dig a little bit deeper into your clients' personalities, motivations, past history, self-awareness, all that stuff, and perhaps leverage, you know, better written questionnaires so that your clients are, are better able to, you know, tell their story and provide you with, with little bits of information that may change how you decide to strategize a program rather, than, rather than just, you know, reducing a client down to lab work numbers and things like that. Human beings are far more than just data. Um, so with that said, Dylan, um, my last question, and you know, maybe we'll wrap it up soon and the guys can sure. ask one question each as well. Um, you know, I mentioned when we first started that, you know, I perceive you to be someone who's very, very well versed in training. But now after talking to you, I'm like, wow, this guy's really good at like client psychology too. And, you know, I might want to have some other conversations offline with you about that. But in the grand scheme of things, as a coach, how do you think people view you? And, or what, what do you think people like think Dylan is known for? And what would you like to be known for? It's a great question. Um, I think probably training and psych stuff. And maybe now just touching on some of the functional stuff, because I, I have done a lot of that. I always have, but I just didn't talk about it because it was, to be honest, because of what Jeff said, it wasn't like at the forefront of marketability you know like five years ago i was doing a lot of this like i was working with pcos clients hashimoto's clients but if i had put like this is the hashimoto's protocol no one would have there just wasn't like a thing that people were doing it was like one and few and far between and it, it didn't have the same pull so um you know a little bit of that but mostly probably training and like biomechanics specificity, uh, specificity and then the psych stuff has been a really really big interest of mine um, I do want to get known just to be quite frank. Um, I think I have the capability to be one of the top performers in the industry. And I've had conversations with Jeff in private. This is hard for me to say. And I told him that this is hard for me to say, like, I want to coach more bodybuilders. I want to coach people that are very, very dedicated to improving their physique. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I felt confident that I could say that and have a branch to stand on. But, you know, I've been obsessing about this for 10 years, you know, and that's, I've covered a, every facet that I could find that would help me develop an athlete. And uh, so that's, that's kind of where I'm looking at going and think, thankfully it's starting to kind of drift that way. 
I don't only want to be a bodybuilding coach though. That is one thing that's different. I have a lot of peers who are doing functional stuff and general lifestyle and some bodybuilding that their goal is to work out of that and just do bodybuilding. There's nothing against that at all. I like having a hybrid roster. I like seeing someone that's just like a single dad or single mom and change their entire life, become an entirely new predator, get a job promotion, leave the shitty relationship they're in. I love that shit. And I get to see that all the time through the modalities in which I coach. And that's something I don't want to let go of. Although I like the challenging and the, and the, I think what, what my ADHD likes about competing is all the minutia that matters, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm very, I'm very detail oriented and I like complexity. It's like where my brain always wants to go. I'm the type of person that has to tell myself, Dylan, no one wants to hear it like that. So you have to restructure this sentence so that it makes sense with real world English today and, you know, practicality, so to speak. Awesome. Guys, what do you have? Um, I mean, I guess I would ask, um, you know, you've, you've built a successful coaching business. Uh, you even said, you know, it, you know, it can be tough when you're 200 pounds and not, you know, jacked out of your mind, et cetera, et cetera but you've, you've overcame. So what are two pieces of advice that you would give new coaches um, kind of getting into the space? Sure. So the one is um, letting self, you have, if you're going to do self comparison, you have to do apples to apples, right? So competing, we always hear like it's you versus you and these cliche things like competing against yourself, but I don't think people look at that with a high enough resolution, right? Because I know that I would hear those things and semi understand it, but then I would still look at Jason Theobald's page and see like, holy man, look how Jack Jason is. Or, you know, he look at this person's page and see that. And subconsciously, it was kind of always in the back of my mind. And then the day I realized that like that is preventing me from focusing on how I get better every single day. Because when I compare apples to apples, I look at Jason's life and it's like, yeah, but he's been training for 25 years. He started at this point. He's done these things. Have you done that? Was that your point? Was it, you know, and you start comparing everything exactly. And it's like, no. And then you find out that everyone is their unique individual. And we just have to do our best to get better kind of one day at a time. And when I started to focus on that, my physique improved. And do I have the best physique in the world? No, but it, I did put on quite a bit of muscle when I started to, you know, put two or three years of hard work into just how do I get a little bit better? How do I educate myself to get to where I'm at? And who do I want to surround myself with? This is a big one to help me get there. Because I think as you get a little bit more rolling, you, you, you do need a good support circle. It can be small, but I think having three to four people who want the best for you in your circle is an absolutely incremental tool in, in anything, but certainly was in mine. And I think the second thing that I would add to that is um, just doing, right? I just had this this morning on a check and the young lady was like, hey, I really want to get involved in fitness. And everyone reaches to like, what, what degree can I get? And I'm like, no, listen, that's the beautiful thing that I love about fitness. You don't go and get a piece of paper and now you just get a job because you have the piece of paper. You have to put your foot in the ring. You can't sit on the sidelines. If you really want to be successful, at some point, you obviously have to put your foot in the right ring and in the right distance from the other foot so you don't fall down. But you want to be able to be on the field actually helping people. So if that's starting at a gym, like no one wants to start working, doing one-on-one sessions. And it's really weird to me that like a bunch of coaches, and I'm going to air quote this, have never trained anyone in person, but they give people a training plan. And I'm like, well, you know, 
I, I understand that that can be totally beneficial and work, but to me, it was always, let's start here and work up. So just humble yourself to the place you're at and just get better. And then you won't suck at it anymore. And you won't have to worry about self-confidence and all that stuff as much. Good deal. You know, man, I, I have so many more questions like I could go with because the psychology of things is <clears throat> a big thing. I really enjoy, but I want to ask this question. Where do you see yourself in five years as a businessman? I've heard about the coach, yep. but I want to hear about the businessman because I'm feeling that that's probably the architecture to like the structural foundation that is going to be really gets you where you go. So I'm curious what that vision looks like for you. Sure. So personally, um, our kind of goal is, um, you know, a hundred stores across Canada. Um, so we're okay. about, you know, a little over 10% of the way there. And I, I think in the next two to three years, that's a real possibility to start working towards something that's closer resembling that. So we got a lot of work across us. We still have untapped markets from provinces that we're not even playing in yet. So there's some big work there. And then on the coaching aspect, you know, being a part of a team, Team Miller Elite, we have, you know, five coaches, um, well, six now. One of them is, you know, currently in a PhD program. Braden has a lot of experience winning shows and, and athletes. I have sort of the psych side, functional training side, you know, so we're combining all of our skills. And I actually think that in the next year, um, we will be the busiest team in Canada for sure. I, I can tell there's always... When you pay attention, you can kind of get these, if you pay attention, there's these vibes, right? And I've been noticing at the last shows, people are watching us. And it's because, to be quite frank, we're working. Like when I go to the shows, I'm always surprised at how little the coaches are doing. You know, like I had a client just as a spectator last weekend come up to me and say, like, it was really cool to see you and Braden in the trenches. Like we're backstage we're in front, we're yelling out cues for posing. We're all over the place doing glazing. We're running with our heads cut off. And that's the type of work ethic that people are attracted to. And I, I like hard work. So I'm not one of these people that tries to tell people don't work hard or you're doing too much. I, I try to tell people, how about you figure out what your max absolute flat out limit is and try to go there for two or three years and really see what you're made of. That's more the type of person I am. So uh, business wise, business is very important to me. Um, it's not a money thing to me. It's just like a scorecard. I, I like building money stuff. does keep score. You're right. Damn right. You know, and I, I like the fact that I've from an obese country ass farm kid turned something with no education. I quit school in grade 10 and I've turned something and, you know, nothing into something, you know, through nothing, but basically hard work, persistence and, and, and effort over the course of 10 years. And I think that that's something that people are being told that, is not possible or it's much harder than it needs to be. You know, like I said, if people just have that attitude of starting where you're starting and try to get a little bit better, people really underestimate what they can get done in a year if they get after it. I agree hundred percent. I think it's because you see a lot of the business coaches watering down the industry saying 10 K within a month yeah. is reasonable. And I'm like, sure, but the fuck do you sustain it after three months? You know, and, you and that's where the, it. that's where it's done hundred percent. Quick sand, you know, you get it in your hands, but then you can't hold it. It slips through and that's even worse for everybody. You know, Jeff actually told this story early on in a podcast and cause you know, he's a little bit newer to it than Jason. I'm more me in the in-person Jason, the online, but what, what did you have? Like 30 or 40 people fall off once, Jeff, and it just panicked you. 34. And, but what it did was it really caused him to like make a pivot 
and build out foundation and build out a structure and things like that. And I think what you see in this industry is like, I will never go completely online because I think that me being in person makes me a better online coach because I'm able to talk to people all the time. I'm able to hang out and so forth. It makes me less depressed. Majority of online coaches I know are depressed. So I'm just, yeah, I I, I just, what you said there, man, the quicksand thing, it just, it rang home. And, and I think that the industry, because of that quicksand and the mental capacity of what we can do with clients. Cause let's face it, you deal with a hundred people a month. I know Jason's got more than me and Jeff and, and you in that regard, but it, it takes a drain on you it's, and it's that quicksand speeds up faster. So, yeah. yeah, man, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate uh, giving me the floor to, you know, share a little bit of my story and anything about me. I'd love to do it again. I'd love to have some of you guys on our podcast potentially in the future too. I like a lot of your work. Um, you know, I've, like I said, I've, I've done a lot of the, you know, Jason and, and Jeff's education stuff myself, and it's been useful uh, pieces into me becoming who I am now. So it's, it's fun. I, I actually have a class. I'm going to be the first ever class I've ever done. Jeff Sue's going to help me make it. He uh, gets to work with the legendary Stephen Pressfield and I, we're going to do a class nice. on riding in the fitness industry. Cool. So um, Jeff's going to be helping me put that together. So it's the first That's time ever. I've ever done class. That the class end of things and putting it together and making it come to life. So can't wait to see it. Dude, just the best at it from what I've seen, man, he does, he's done some good work. So, um, but definitely it would be on to coming on your podcast, but we should bring you on for another one. We do and maybe get some of you guys from team Miller elite and yeah. have like a high level discussion about the contest prep and like what it looks like with you guys and how you guys, you know, churn and burn it and get the results you guys do. Yeah, man, it was really, like I said, it was really great to have you guys. Um, I got to run. I got, I'm actually going to train one of my favorite clients who's stepping on a potential pro stage next week. So I'm going to do an in-person session myself right now. Sweet. Anyway. Where can everybody find you at real quick, man? Um, so on our website, so teammillerelite.com. Uh, my Instagram is just my name, Dylan Phaneuf. YouTube is Team Miller Elite also. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. That's the only kind of social channels that I run. That's plenty for me. I have a hard enough time keeping up with, <laughs> with those ones. Same, same. I feel you. Well, dude, thank you for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back next week with Goob You. That oh, for sure yeah. will be a hilarious one. It'll <laughs> be a different episode than mine. That's for sure. All right. Well, you take care, Dylan. Thanks for joining us. See you guys us. later. I appreciate it. Appreciate All right, it. See you, see you later. See you guys.